party is not for Buster anymore. No, Michael, it's for you. Maybe. Take a look at Banner, Michael. You guys did all of this for me? Family, love. Michael? Everyone froze. Michael feared he'd been caught in a lie about his family. His family feared they'd been caught by a woman they clubbed, drugged, and left on a bench. It was awkward. Welcome to Peak Show, where children are neither to be seen nor heard. I'm your host, Guy in a $5,000 suit, Bree Rohde, and I set out to determine when the media and creators you love peak. Uh, who do I have on the line with me here today? We're going to go ladies first. <laughs> Hi, I'm Liz, and um, I'm having a sad time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who else Who else has joined us on this peak show party? Uh, we, we miscalculated. Retreat. Uh, I'm Michael Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And this is my first time ever having two hosts. And uh, listeners might be wondering, what do Mike and Liz have to do with one another? Are they, you know, co-hosts of a successful podcast together? Are they buddies? Are they a cool duo? No, they're just two of my friends because I put out a feeler and asked who wants to host my Arrested Development podcast with me. And they both said yes. And I love them both so much that I couldn't say no <laughs> to either of them. Uh, so welcome <laughs> Both of you, welcome back to the show. Liz was the host of episode three, So You Think You Can Dance, and Mike was the host of episode two, King of the Hill. But I had you both here because we all love Arrested Development. We're, we're white millennials, so, you know. We're, we did, can't have another personality. Yes. I mean, between uh, podcasts and Arrested Development, yeah, there's that's about 90. We're maxed out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, Liz, uh, as... Uh, as Listeners of our podcast know you are the host of Real Good Pros, Canada's number one hockey podcast uh, for both Toronto Maple Leafs content and succession jokes. But you also <laughs> you also fairly recently launched a newsletter. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so my uh, newsletter is called What's Going On in This Kid's Brain. It's a Louis Tomlinson quote inspired because that's the other part of my personality. But basically, it's just random thoughts I have uh, that wouldn't fit on a Twitter thread. Uh, articles I've read online and tweets that I like. Yes, and uh, like most of your stuff online, I believe that one you can find at Yano for sure at Substack or, or dot Substack, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Liz has an extremely Canadian way of communicating. <laughs> Hashtag branding. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag branding. And Mike, what have you been up to since we last spoke about TV? Uh, really, honestly, nothing. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't have... Uh, in terms of, I guess, creative projects that are on the way, uh, I'm probably going to be starting a podcast next year, fulfilling the prophecy of all white males. <laughs> um, but uh, I know I'm actually really looking forward to that. It's going to be about the Venture Brothers, which is a show that if you've ever watched it, heard it, uh, anything, it has a very intense but small fandom. And there have been several podcasts that have sucked. No disrespect to all of those podcasts that sucked. And I believe I could do better. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Um, and sort of to justify this Christmas present that I received uh, of, of the microphone and such. So, you know, those things. Uh, so, and uh, now since you've both been guests on the podcast before, um, I usually ask people, when did you peak? But what I'm going to ask you guys this time, I originally had what was the peak of your summer, and then I remembered it's November. So I think we're good for asking what was the peak of your fall? So Mike, what was the peak of your fall? 
I guess the peak of my fall, probably this is going to sound almost depressing, but um, Thanksgiving with family, um, you know, we didn't really do that last year for, I don't know, some reason. I'm sure it's going to come up at, uh, <laughs> at one point or another, but uh, it was huge for me to uh, actually, you know, spend time with family and be like frustrated and be like, why do we do this? Uh, you know, you, f- <laughs> you forget, you forget about how much of a hassle it is actually. Uh, when you're out of it so it was that was actually really good to get back into it and I guess I painted my, I painted my basement from uh, uh, I'm sorry if there's like a swearing prohibition on this show but you know um, there is not you know. uh, okay good 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 um, but uh, no my uh, my uh, wife referred to the walls in the basement as shit brown and uh, that was very true and it just finally like got to me so I guess I guess two peaks yeah um, I mean I I think it's actually great to like get a chance to be annoyed with our families again. But the thing is, Mike, what do we always say comes first? Family. Breakfast. Yes. <laughs> Liz, what was the peak of your fall? Well, I've decided that September counts as fall. And in September, I went on a trip to Toronto and got to do a bunch of cool touristy things, go to a Leafs game and see the lovely host Bree. Um, so that's why I was invited back. <laughs> It was. It was very patient. Uh, you guys waited for me at the bar for a really long time because I was uh, a money-hungry bitch who decided to teach that night. Um, but uh, I don't know. I Technically, closing on my house does not count because I closed on my house September 15th. However, I actually think the peak of my fall, um, I'm going to say it was... Um, now, again, I can't emphasize enough. We're all white people here. I'm a white woman sitting on my floor wearing a cardigan. Um, it was all too well. 10 minute version, Taylor's version, sad girl autumn version recorded at Long Pond <laughs> Studios. Dot PDF dot final. <laughs> I think, um, yes, uh, Mike, your lovely wife, she absolutely won Twitter with that one. <laughs> you know, it, it ac- that was really funny. It actually bugged me because there was like a Josh Gondelman tweet that had like, I don't know, 70,000 favorites or whatever, right? And and it was essentially the same one. Like it was it was a little bit different, but like, eh, you know, um, <laughs> I, I will I, I will stick up for my wife that I think she is funnier than someone else on the Internet. Good for you. Your wife is. Yeah. Most women are funnier than others. Um. She'd, she'd have to have a sense of humor to stick around with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, we love you, Rachel. Come on the pod soon. Um, so as uh, as you may have guessed, uh, because we have explicitly said it, we're talking about Arrested Development today. Beloved Fox series uh, that if you split into two parts you could argue is a flawless series. If you just kind of do some do some self-men in black memory erasing, you could argue is a perfect series. Um, now, Mike, uh, when did you first get into Arrested Development? What's kind of like your journey with it been like? Uh, I was, I, I don't want to say a day one, but I probably did watch the, uh, the series premiere. Um, it was really, I, I think it was just on and they had a very sort of, big push at the start um of course mm-hmm. it didn't ever it didn't actually get the uh, the support and it bounced around on weekdays and, and and from the weekend and stuff thereafter um but no i was i was watching the first season in 2003 4 when it was coming out um and then i went to university which made it harder to kind of coordinate that uh but i eventually would have watched the reruns um when i got the opportunity to and absolutely loved it from the start and thought it was Actually, it was too funny for me at the time uh, as an older person watching it and being like, yeah, no, this is this is a joke every like two seconds. And then there's visual jokes and mm. then there's audio jokes and then there's replay or uh, you know recalls as well. So 
Yeah. Um, you, like me, were obviously both big Simpsons fans. And uh, I think Simpsons and being a fan of that from a very young age primed me for like really appreciating joke a minute stuff and then like kind of concurrent jokes and like rewatch value. Like, especially when I think of the Bill and Josh years of the Simpsons and how there's always a sign gag and always a background joke. But uh, yeah, very similar, similar humor. Uh, Liz, what's your what was your journey with Arrested Development? <laughs> I feel like I'm about to make you both feel old because I started watching it when I was in university when the fourth season was coming out. So it was kind of plastered all over my Netflix. And it was one of those shows that it was, okay, why do I keep, like, I keep seeing screen grabs from this specific show, like on Tumblr and on Twitter. Like, what is it all about? So I jumped in when the fourth season came out. I watched the first, second, and third. And then I think I got one episode into the fourth and went, oh, no, no, thank you. <laughs> um, I eventually went back and watched the fourth season. I never got around to the fifth, um, but the first three seasons I've rewatched. I think it's one of my most rewatched shows besides like something that I was actively watching on TV, like Friends or something like that. So, Liz, if I may... I uh, Kat, Kat, <laughs> like Kat is out of the bag. We all agree that the show ended after the third season... Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, no, like, absolutely. Sunrises in <laughs> and, the uh, east, stuff like that. No, <laughs> again. Okay. This was like my first for this show was like my first time like revisiting the fourth season. I just went, oh, I think I got like halfway through and I was like, you know, I gave it the old college try. I don't need to do anymore. <laughs> For those listening at home, by the way, when uh, Liz said that she was in university when the fourth season came out, Mike turned to turned into a pillar of sand. So. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was trying to do like a bit of a melting, but also like crumbling. It was. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was a veritable chicken dance of an impersonation. <laughs> It's the kind of thing where, like, Mike, you're not that much older than me, and I'm not that much older than Liz, but I think there's, a, it's it's like a decent like. You would want to space siblings this far apart. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm the bridge between elder millennial and younger millennial right now. Um, so, uh, so for me, elder. Arrested Development. <laughs> I'm so sorry. This is actually just us all having different kinds of crises. This is, guys, this is counting as elder abuse. Like, this is actually getting mean at this point. <laughs> Well, actually, Mike, as the only one of uh, of us who is a parent, you are actually legally required to make sure that neither of us drink under your watch. So, um, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm um, not wearing a watch, so you're fine. Ha! I added a dad joke. <laughs> mm, there we go. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> this is going great. I can tell this is going yeah, great. What are, we, what are we talking about again? I have I have no idea. Fatherhood, uh, mm, death. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, so. I, I've got kind of similar best of both worlds. Um, I was a day one, but not nothing after that. Um, I do remember watching it when it came out, uh, the season premiere, and I would have been 14 at the time. So just, I think like I was old enough because like I was into Simpsons and King of the Hill and stuff from a very young age. I always wanted more out of comedy. And like I watched Seinfeld from a very young age as well. Um, and so I thought at first, like, I bet you I'm going to like this. You know, this seems weird. This seems offbeat. But I think still at 14, it wasn't quite clicking for me. Like, I didn't really appreciate why a lot of that stuff was funny. And I remember thinking about the first episode, this is so chaotic. This is so chaotic and so overwhelming. And I never watched it again. 
And I remember never hearing about it again. And I watched so much Fox as a kid because I was always watching The Simpsons and like my local Fox affiliate. And that just makes me think like they really didn't market this show at all. Um, so when I like I wasn't even aware when it was canceled. So when I was in university, I was dating a guy and he and his roommates would constantly be quoting Arrested Development to each other. And so finally, I just said, I was like, can I borrow your DVDs? Because I need to understand what you guys are talking about. And because um, <laughs> that's the thing, it is probably the most like jiffable, quotable show. Yes, I say jiff um, <laughs> for for our generation. Um, and I I was in love with it. I was addicted. And I I think it's the first time where I watched a series and then immediately rewatched it because I was like, it you know, it was the summertime. I was like, I can I understand now how many jokes and layers of jokes there are in here. So I want to get I want to get into this. I was nervous from the start when they said there was going to be a fourth season. I was like, don't like this. Don't want you to mess with it. Like we ended on such a good note. And I even think of the book stuff white people like, and it specifically said white people like Arrested Development because it was canceled before it could get bad. And um, to, for context about me, um, I Arrested Development season four was released when I was on a trip to Jasper, Alberta, uh, to climb mountains with uh, the guy I was dating at the time. And on that trip, we accidentally mixed our phones up because we had the same phones. And I found out that he was cheating on me and I was devastated and I couldn't leave because the rental car was in his name and all that. And that <sighs> night I was like, OK. I'm going to just sit here and I'm going to watch Arrested Development and I'm going to take my mind off this. This is going to make me so much happier. And I was so frustrated with the experience of watching Arrested Development. And I'm like, well, TV's not bringing me pleasure. This trip isn't bringing me pleasure. I watched Girl with the Dragon Tattoo that night instead because that was more pleasant to me. That's not a good, you should write like, that out and send that to everyone that was involved in bringing Arrested Development back and make them feel a little bit of shame. You made me, you, I found watching Rooney Mara go through what she went through in that better than watching that fucking season. Um, so I, I abandoned it after like three episodes and then did not think about it for a while. And then um, in, I think mid 2015 was when I got a job um, working for an entertainment trade that was um, specifically covering the streaming industry. And so I would get a lot of press screeners and, um, I think by 2018, I had transferred to another magazine, but I was still getting the screener sent to me. It was also the one way I could watch Hulu originals in Canada. Um, and I got screeners of Arrested Development season five. And I was like, oh, geez, I guess I better finish watching season four. Um, watched the uh, the chronological version that they'd redone. Didn't help. Did not help. Um, and then I watched season five. And that was before, because I got the screeners, that was before the the tambour of it all got uh got released and unearthed and um i did not like season five i didn't like i didn't find it as frustrating as season four but it's just i didn't laugh at it i i almost never laughed um i will say the ending um and the reveal that uh spoiler alert buster blue killed lucille too that was pretty great mm -hmm. i i liked that but everything else um i thought like it's, it was the kind of thing, you know, Liz was saying this about the, um, like, not being able to get the cast all in one spot for season four. Like, if you can't do that, take it as a sign that you shouldn't do this series. Um, if you can't get Portia de Rossi for every episode, because she had essentially retired by then, why are you doing this series? So, um, Well, money. 
they were paid yes. a ton of money by Netflix. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like let's, what? Let's let's face that's it. That's why people do things. That, let's let's face it. That's probably one of the the real reasons why the show like. It, I think the nicest thing you can say about the first three seasons, or not the nicest thing, but one of the many nice things you can say about the first three seasons is that it's lightning in a bottle. You have all mm-hmm. of these people who are not yet at the zenith of their creative powers, but are just getting there. You have journeyman actors and actresses who are coming coming in and out and 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 sort of like redefining their careers. Uh, to say nothing of the creative side of things, or you know, like a, like offstage stuff. Um, and then they all became megastars. They became unaffordable. And then what? Seven years pass between third and fourth season. It doesn't work because you change the format. Then you try to re-edit it, and then you go back. Like it. it ultimately, if you wanted to do a five-second sound clip of why of what the problem is, is that it was lightning in a bottle. You can't recapture it. Yeah. Uh, would you say that the actors were not yet at their peaks? <laughs> Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm, what? Can you break We're not at that section, yes. <laughs> Wait, if I, if I may quote Ron Howard, hey, that's the name of the show. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think also, um, and I have like a lot of Netflix ranting that I hold back because I reported on the industry for so long with Netflix and ratings. Like you'll always see Netflix talk about its high rated shows. Like right now it's talking about Squid Game a lot because mm-hmm. Squid Game is this runaway success. Um and you can't find anything on the ratings for um, Arrested Development seasons four and five because they're not going to release the ratings. And I've always found the Netflix t- uh, linear TV comparison rather unfair because they're not held to the same standards. Like all linear television has to report average minute audience, whereas net and, and it has to go through a third party. Like in the U.S., it's Nielsen and Canada, it's Numeris. Um Netflix has like they mark their own homework like that's the industry term they're a walled garden and so their their thing is like oh we got this many views trust us there's no third party verification um and so that's why also when they cancel series and people are like why and they're like I didn't have enough views and like well how do we know um but at the same time, like sort of in Netflix's defense, average minute audience wouldn't be how you monetize a show anyway, because that has nothing to do with ad revenue. What monetizes a show is how many people it drives to sign up for Netflix. And if I recall, season four of Arrested Development was what drove me to sign up for Netflix. Like it's you have if you have a series or an acquisition that is big enough that it's going to pe- pull people to the flat to the platform that is considered a success. How many people watch it through to the end? They don't give a swag. Uh, so are we ready to move on to the history section of Arrested Development? Sure. Absolutely. All right. So we're diving into the history. I'm going to try to uh, charmingly paraphrase Wikipedia as quickly as possible. <laughs> um, so um, it was originally the brainchild of sitcom legend Ron Howard, uh, who had the idea. He he started out not with a plotting concept, but wanting to do a single camera sitcom because single camera sitcoms were still not overly popular at that point in America in a handheld style with a more intricate and atypical plot. And then he paired with uh, other sitcom legend uh, Mitchell Hurwitz. The series came to life because Hurwitz had an inspiration of... Um, recent financial scandals such as Enron and wanting to do a riches to rags kind of uh, family story. So the pitch resulted actually in a bidding war between NBC and Fox, two networks that were so desperate to get this. I do love to imagine what it would have been like as an NBC show. Um, Of course, Fox (laughs) One debuted it at the 2003 upfronts. 
Uh, casting for the show was apparently very straightforward. Um, Aaliyah Shawkat was the first to cast, and apparently Job was the hardest to cast. I really do love picturing, like, who else could have been Job? But um, Tony Hale, Michael Sarah, Aaliyah Shawkat, and even Will Arnett were such, like, relatively unknown actors at the time of their casting. They were all, they're all working actors, none of them household names. And I think of, like, all the people that became the biggest stars from uh, Arrested Development. Will Arnett has to be like the one whose career was most helped by that series because he's everywhere now. May I yeah, share everywhere? May, may I share my uh, tenuous connections to Will Arnett? Uh, uh, yes, as a way please. To break up the history. Okay, so um, I have two. I have two. They're really great. The first one is that my uh, uh, hairstylist when I was younger was a wonderful Swiss man named Andre Cunier. Um, and he used to cut Will Arnett's hair and, and yes, yes. So I, uh, the, the same hands that, that, that touched his wow. glorious hair and widow's wow. peak dealt with mine as well. Um, <laughs> and, and even more nebulously connected, uh, Will Arnett was kicked out of Lakefield, which is a relatively prestigious private boarding school in Ontario. And, um, my sister was as well. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh. <laughs> Uh, sorry, not kicked out. Ask not to return uh, for the audience at home. I was doing the uh, the, the the bunny ear quotations there. Um, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, Mike, Mike's sister. If you are listening, please don't sue Pig Show. We cannot afford it. I can't <laughs> no. even afford to pay guests. I can't even afford to extend this call. Um, <laughs> Join our Patreon ad. <laughs> I have no Patreon. What can I give you? Um, <laughs> So uh, what I loved when I was looking up like their filmographies before Arrested Development was it said about Michael Sarah he voiced Brother Bear, an anthropomorphic bear. And I'm like, thank you. I needed to know who Brother Bear was. Um, but, Every time uh, I remember that Michael Sarah was Brother Bear, I have like a like, full body reaction because I watched <laughs> Brother Bear all the time as a child. And then I'm just like, oh, God, oh, God, you're the guy from Superbad. <laughs> like, I can't. I can't connect those two things in my head in any way. I know yeah. Brother Bear is like a wholesome, you know, G-rated family movie, but it, in, in the hands, quite literally, of Will Arnett, that would have been a much worse character. That would have been a much worse puppet of Brother Bear. <laughs> I can, if I can just add that in. Yes. Um, so weirdly enough, I mean, besides Jessica Walter, who was already um, sitcom legend and... Uh, I mean, I knew her from the dinosaurs because I was cool like that. And uh, and uh, Jason Bateman, um, probably the biggest performers cast on it were um, were David Cross, whom I mainly knew as a comedian, but I also knew from his role in the terrible, scary movie, too. Um, and Jeffrey Tambor, um, who were originally only intended to be minor characters. Mm. And uh, the audience loved them so much that they uh, ended up being in every episode. Um so the series was noted for a lot of its unique at the time elements. Uh, they shot on location. They shot HD at 24 frame, frames per second. Again, like that's normal now. It was not back then. Um, the elaborate cutaway gags, deep meta humor, um, but ratings on the show, never good. In season one, it had an average of 6.2 million uh, and was the 120th most popular show in the US. Again, I can't emphasize enough. If you were pulling in 6.2 million in Canada, uh, you'd be renewed forever. Um, it was, uh, even its core demographic, which was 18 to 49, it was 88th among that. So it was bad folks, um, went down in season two to 6 million to the point of the season being reduced by four episodes, which we all know worked its way into the plot. 
And the third season uh, posted the lowest ratings yet, which uh, Fox, which ended in Fox cutting the episode order to nearly half, uh, 13 episodes. And the last four episodes were not only shown in a two hour time slot, they were pit against the Winter Olympics closing ceremonies. Like what a bigger middle finger to a show. And the finale received 3.43 million viewers, which in Canada we call a pretty good episode of Big Bang Theory. Uh, by contrast, it was a it was a critical darling. Uh, Gillian Flynn of Entertainment Weekly called it the best show of 2005. In 2012, it was rated uh, again Entertainment Weekly number two in the list of 25 best cult TV shows in the last 25 years. Uh, in terms of awards, uh, the first season received seven Emmy nominations and five wins, including best comedy series, directing in a comedy series, casting, single camera editing, and writing. Um, second season received 11 nominations and one win. Third season received four nominations and. Jason Bateman has also won a Golden Globe for his role as Michael Bluth. Following its cancellation, it what now it was a hit on DVD. That's like how the legend goes. Mm-hmm. I've never found the numbers for how many how many uh, DVDs it sold. I'm assuming that that I, I don't think it's a lie, but I was just upset that I couldn't find uh, numbers for how many DVDs were sold. Again, aging myself here, but like every every college dorm, every house uh, uh, that I was at, there was at least. Of the season one DVD was 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 somewhere there and often on screen. So, yes, um, I think I knew a guy who in in our dorm had a little toy stair car on his windowsill. And at the time, <laughs> I only knew like the first episode of Arrested Development, so I knew what that was from. But after that, I was like, oh, I should have made out with that guy. Um, <laughs> so that's all you do in dorms um, is use like you like the same TV I like. Let's make out. Um, Oh, that's what you do. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I didn't know. I, I didn't know. I <laughs> thought you just sat there uh, awkwardly. My that too. experience was a little different. Mm. It wasn't shows I, you liked. It was giant posters of Breaking Bad and being like, do you get the point of Breaking Bad? Do you get the like whole like Walter Thad? No, you don't. Okay. Well, but when he puts on the- that. When he puts on the hat, he becomes a bad guy. Oh, right. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so 2013 was uh, when Netflix or Netflix acquired the rights of the show, I think, in 2011. Uh, and in 2013, season four was released. Most of the cast uh, couldn't shoot together. Again, no ratings info on Netflix. Rotten Tomato and Metacritic. I was actually surprised the original consensus on those uh, aggregator sites was around like a B plus level. But there were several high profile tepids in negative interviews like in Variety and Wall Street Journal. Uh, biggest complaints were the pacing, convoluted storytelling, tonal shift, thematic shift. Um 2014, Mitch Hurwitz announced that they would recut the season in chronolo- chronological order, and this was even more poorly received. It holds a consensus of 25% among critics. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes headline being, they made a huge mistake. Um, <laughs> no ratings info on either season because it's Netflix. Um, in 2018, though, season five, part one was released. Again, Portia de Rossi was only in five episodes since she had essentially retired. And then Big sad face now. Um, Jeffrey Tambor's sexual impropriety allegations and firing from Transparent. Those um, those came about in late 2017. Um, it's I guess important to say that his sexual um, his sexual assault allegations were never proven in court. However, 
uh, they found it worthy to fire him from transparent. So, and he uh, was, it was more or less, con- uh, well, it was, it was explicitly confirmed that he also verbally harassed people on set, including Jessica Walter and Arrested Development. Um, so mm-hmm. those uh, really loomed over the release, including that very terrible New York Times interview after which uh, the UK press tour for the season was canceled. So um, season reviews were mixed, but none glowingly positive or horribly negative. Um, there had been talks up to that point, especially from Hurwitz, that they'd like to make it into a movie. But as of 2018, the consensus from the cast and crew is that the show is done. Again, I, as I've done this show, I've come to realize nothing is ever canceled anymore these days. They simply like go into a limbo and creators love to say like, oh, I'd love to, I'd love to renew it one day. I'd love to revisit that. I think Arrested Development is a great sign that don't do it. <laughs> I mean, please tell that to Disney. Uh, no, no, no intellectual property uh, uh, needs to die. Um, Are there any good examples of shows that have actually like come back for like a reboot or renewal and did well? Like, the X-Files reboot was okay, but it didn't I have to happen. I can't think of any off yeah. the top of my head. Most of the time I don't engage with like the reboots or re- like reuniting and stuff like that because like it's it's done. You know what I mean? Especially if it's something like Arrested Development that was like gone for a while. It's like mm-hmm. no, like that's that's cold in the ground. We don't have to dig it back up. Like I've I've made my peace with that. I have closure. I don't need, like, there's no overlying plot things that I'm missing out on from Arrested Development. I can think of one thing that is really good when you reboot it um, 10 years later. And I will simply say that it's all too well. Taylor's version, 10-minute version, sad girl autumn version, recorded at Long Pond Studios. Um, Are you being sponsored by Taylor Swift? (laughs) Taylor, give a bitch some money. Um... (laughs) Um, so this is yeah, of course I, coming out in two weeks, right? When when the yeah, the zeitgeist will have moved on to something else, or right? when there so, will be five more versions. Actually, actually, Taylor's going to be she's she's spending the rest of the year in everyone's mouth. Uh, what we're going to have is actually a ten minute extended cut of the kitchen fight scene between Sadie Sink and Dylan O'Brien. It's going to be great. Um, so. Um, I mean, Liz, you even pointed out that in like the opening scene of season four, it's so distracting that Michael Sarah is just so much older. And they do make a pretty good joke about it. Like it, it's a good joke, but like even Portia de Rossi's look is distracting to me because mm-hmm. like people age. Mm-hmm. Like Michael and Joe look fairly similar. Um like, but just Michael Sarah and Portia de Rossi, like, it takes you out of it. Like, it's not like you're pretending that, oh, yes, this is actually the next day following, like, the boat party. But it's mm-hmm. so jarring that you, like, it immediately breaks any form of kind of, like, um, illusion, <laughs> illusion that you have about it. <laughs> Yes, we have not been tricked. Um, uh, I think like it was interesting because they address it with George Michael because that is the quote unquote most obvious one. But it's like, no, actually, everyone has age. Like, I, I actually think Tony Hale, he does look so much older. Like, Tony Hale looks like such a baby early in the series. And uh, I was going to say, actually, the, the real the real baby is the first season. I was watching some clips, some highlights, obviously, to prepare for this. Uh, prepare. Um, and it is amazing to see what like a what a seventeen year old Michael Sarah looks like. He looks 
it's like a it's like a Pokemon like evolution to what he is now. Like he all the features are still there, like the coloring is still there, but like it's 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 like it's no, like it no, it's like it's going from like Ivysaur to Venusaur is the only way I can explain this. Um um like there just there is a notably different like he looks like such he looks like he could be on a on on like a Degrassi junior high. Jesus. He is so young looking. <laughs> I did the same thing, though, because I was watching season four, like, as I was saying, and then I went back and I was like, okay, I just want to watch the pilot because I haven't revisited the pilot in a while. I want to kind of remember. And I was like, that's an infant. That is a child. He shouldn't be working. Like, does he is he allowed to work on this set? Because, yeah, like you said, that's that's a baby. That's a child. What I love about Michael Sarah is that, I mean, he's never been like Mr. Jack show. And I think like, especially in the first two seasons, he has like the cutest little baby fat. And I feel like they also outfit him in a way that makes his proportions look very awkward and teenagery. Like he has the world's smallest little torso. And I'm just like, <laughs> they could not, the styling on that show is pretty good, but I just for making Michael Sarah look like such a little dork, they deserve an Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> I both want to punch him and protect him. <laughs> uh, um, like, I think the, those meta jokes, like, you know, because Arrested Development never let you forget that you were watching a TV show. Um, so that was really cool. And one thing I was thinking about, and also, again, why, like, season four, I think just didn't feel fresh anymore, is because we were no longer lacking for the kind of humor that they brought us. Like, I have a lot of misgivings about community, and everyone... Everyone who keeps telling me, like, you need to do community. You need to do an episode on community. Thanks. You just assured that I'll never do an episode on community. <laughs> um, but, like, community was a really good example of, like, a very mainstream network show, bring, like, normalizing meta humor and stuff. And that was that was its whole thing. That was what everyone liked about it. Um, and even... It's not quite as meta, but it's very self-aware. Like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, which I know, Liz, you're a huge fan of. Um <laughs> Those were well in the market by 2013. And so Arrested Development could no longer, um, I think it no longer appealed simply because of how unique and different it was. And then, um, but I also think like you combine that too with a weird inability to capture the tone and the uh, kind of impishness, like scamperishness of the first uh, of the first three. Yeah, because I think like the first three seasons, it has that underdog us against the world mentality that you don't get in the fourth one, because now these people are well paid by Hollywood. Mm -hmm. These people have other jobs. These people have Netflix money behind them. They're not like actively fighting for viewers on Fox versus the like Winter Olympics. So mm -hmm. it loses that kind of underdogginess that made it kind of what it was in the first three seasons. And it was just another Netflix show almost mm. like, Oh, I've seen this before. It had been like market corrected by, like you said, community and to an extent, always sunny. And even there was probably Netflix shows on at the same time that had that same kind of like meta humor that were cheaper to make probably. Yeah. Um, and I think just structurally from like a, from a, a, again, part of what made, I've already used the phrase lightning in a bottle, but I will use it again is the nature of the show is this is you know a, a son who is trying to rebuild his family up 
Um, and that actually requires close contact. And that actually requires a lot of interworking parts, especially for the way they structure all of the comedy. And, you know, whether it's Jessica Walter saying something like, I love all my children equally. And then earlier that day, I don't <laughs> care for Job. Stuff like that. That actually <laughs> makes more sense when you're going to see a scene later on where she's going to say something mean to Job. You see Buster giving a reaction to that. All that stuff actually requires close contact and and sort of rapid fire the jokes are rapid fire but also you need people going in and out and in and out of scenes together and then it's no it's mostly contained it's mostly single each episode is sort of focused on one character um mm -hmm. you know more and more and and that you know or you have a limited sort of scope of the characters where what made the show so good for three seasons was you knew that something that that Job was doing was going to screw up something that Michael was doing, but that was actually an attempt to screw up something that Lucille was doing. And then you have, you know, George senior as well with some sort of thing that can't mm. work when you split them up. You, it just, it, no. it's a fundamental betrayal of the premise. Mm -hmm. And I think like, I mean, Jessica Walter, I think it was a year ago, she passed away and like, um, what a, what a sad loss for comedy. Um, she just had such an amazing career. Um, that said, do you guys think that like when there's now like an older upper class, uh, waspy woman role that Wendy Malick gets all the calls that Jessica Walter was going to get? <laughs> do you mean, know Christine how many times gets a lot of wasp roles? She's, yeah. she's filling the market there as well. <laughs> I guess I just find in Will Arnett connection, but when I think of like, um, and I know this is before Jessica Walter passed, but when I think about the role of Bojack's mother's voice and Wendy Malick, I'm just like, that could have so easily been uh, Jessica Walter and like Mallory Archer could have so easily been Wendy Malick. Um, they, <laughs> they have really similar voices. Um, I, I mix them up a lot uh, voice wise. Obviously they don't look alike, but um uh, no, with, Especially with Jessica now. Walter. <laughs> oh dear. Well, <laughs> spot the I mean, I mean oh. it's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, but Jessica Walter had such great chemistry with everyone in so many different ways. Like I loved the way she played off of Bateman. I loved the way she played off of Jeffrey Tambor. Um, and I really, really loved, um, uh, with Tony Hale, like, cause the faces he would make in reaction to everything she said, just zip me up. And, uh, <laughs> God, she was brilliant. Um, I also think sometimes there were actors that because of the shooting schedule ended up spending too much time with one another. Um, and I, I mean, very specifically Jason Bateman and Michael Sarah. Um, I think they, they do have chemistry. I'm not saying they don't have chemistry, but the dynamic that they create together is so awkward on purpose and it creates so much tension on purpose. It's just too much. Like you the, can't have um, a three episode stretch of them mm. because you're fighting in a dorm the whole time. Oh my God. Yeah. Like the, I mean, Michael is a really bad parent to George Michael that throughout <laughs> the entire series. Um, but I just think their actual scenes together work best when they're few and far between because you can get so much humor from awkwardness, but you can't do, I can't live there. I cannot. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, okay, I, I want to ask both of you. I mean, Liz, you and I, it's no secret we've talked about this, but so Mike, I want to ask you, do you consider Arrested Development style of humor to be smart humor? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely smart for me because it, uh, it relies on um, timing on 
the micro and macro sense, I think, in, in mm-hmm. is, is, is the way to describe it, in that you obviously need the right cadence and the delivery of the line at the right time with the right pause, all of that, you know, Jessica Walter probably being the best example of that. Um, but then you also have these structured jokes that take, that they, they slow play out over the course of a season, uh, you know, loose seal. Um, you know, that's that, that arm off and, 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 and all of those things. <laughs> I will never touch my son's hand again. You know, all of the, all of that's like, that is, that takes so much work to do, uh, uh, that I, that, you know, it's not Peter Griffin falling down the stairs, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, I don't know, just saying buzzwords, just saying, oh, molecule. And then the laugh track for Big Bang Theory sounds like it's uh, that there's 50,000 people dying of laughter there. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the show is the show is truly, I do believe, smart in that sense. They're not portraying smart people, but the humor itself yeah. is smart. Mm-hmm. So my, my take is a little maybe controversial is that I actually don't find the jokes themselves, quote unquote, smart at all. I actually think Arrested Development does have extremely broad humor. But what is so unique and special about it is that you take these really simple, really broad things and the efforts that they will go to drag them out um, and take the longest road and sweatiest road to get there. And I've I've like I've been really critical of sweaty humor and sweaty bits on this show. Ew, sweaty bits. <laughs> Never let me say that again. <laughs> um, but like they, I think it's like uh, amazing to me how much they will commit to what is ultimately a stupid joke. I, I think that it's like, so I guess you could say it's stupid brilliant in, in a way. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. I love that for us. Um, uh, yeah, like things like the stair car is actually really goofy and broad um and very slapstick even um the there is one there is one early episode that i will hate because it's it's slapstickiness doesn't pay off and i hope you guys agree with me the uncle jack episode oh my god that one makes me want to die all the time (laughs) i hate to say it he seems like a lovely man martin short is not funny i don't care for him at all Uh... (laughs) he's can I, so you know how I was talking earlier about connections to Will Arnett. <laughs> oh, no. Martin Short Mark, is actually Mike's uncle. How dare you? Uh, uh, actually, no, Jiminy he, Glick is his uncle. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> tell me about. I'm not even. I'm not even going to try to do the impersonation. Um, no, but he is. He is. He is a very close family friend, uh, and and is oh, actually no. one of and is actually one of truly one of the nicest and funniest people you will ever meet in person. He does. He can. He can interact with you for 30 seconds and do a spot-on impersonation of you that it, it is staggering it's amazing um but no i think uh, more accurate oh go ahead oh no i was i was i was just gonna say i understand that not a lot of people necessarily like his comedy um uh, yeah I, I, that's I what i was gonna be, say I, my father and my aunt might get really angry at me if i were to um agree <laughs> uh <laughs> but uh no i mean he he actually in person wonderful wonderful soul Oh, he seems like a lovely man. Like, that's the thing is, like, there are certain people that I'm just like, I'm glad you're famous. Like, there, that one clip of him on the talk show when the interviewer fails to remember that his wife has passed and the way he had, like, it's a heartbreaking thing and just the smile on his face. I'm like, oh, you are such a nice man. But I just find the Uncle Jack episode too gross. Um, I mean, I have, I have softened on a little, little bit. I have occasionally like held my cat up like this and go, it's just something the body does do any shake. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, that episode is a lot like capital A, capital L, a lot. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what, exactly what I was going to say. It's just yeah. a lot. And it's, 
it, it's a bit too much for me, but I, I respect what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I think there's um, this moment right before the original ending. I forget who, if this was my note or your note, Liz, but um, in Exit <laughs> Strategy, when Tobias talks about Hollywood set dressing and like those Hollywood sets are so detailed and you just see like a single coffee cup. And then yeah. it, that's that's enough of a good joke. But then they double down on it. And a minute later, George Michael goes and gets a single granola bar. <laughs> and um, like, that is the perfect, like, that is not a, smart joke it's a it's a stupid ass concept but it has so much confidence in it and it like like you said mike the timing of it is so exactly perfect and the way no one reacts to it like i think that's what's really smart about it it's almost like it's it's not necessarily smart humor in the sense of like they're making any social commentary kind of thing with their like jokes, but it's smart in the way that they execute the jokes. Mm-hmm. Like it's broad humor, but smartly executed. Maybe it's maybe it's the difference between smart versus clever. Um, because yes. there yeah. there isn't there is an artistry there. Although I will um, demure slightly, uh, Liz, on the idea that there wasn't sort of political commentary because the show is rife with political commentary yeah, specifically like of the my year most recent my mm. like my most recent experience with like political commentary is i like just revisited like charlie has an abortion or wants an abortion so it's just like so in my face in that way but mm. no revisiting and all the like war commentary especially like that, yeah. but i also think running that- the drone <laughs> We talk about the age thing, and I think that might also be uh, a huge um, thing with watching it. You know, like, Mike, you watched it at the time. I watched it a little later. Like, Liz, you watched it a lot later. It was, I think, one of the few scripted things that actively went after the war in Iraq. Yeah, that's fair. Because by the time I was experiencing it, like, I everything was talking about the war in Iraq and everything had commentary on it or was at least addressing it in some way or was being, like... Yeah, exactly. Like addressing it in some way. So it wasn't necessarily like it, it didn't stand out to me because I didn't, I didn't watch it in the original run. So Mm. I was like, oh, this is old hat, like making fun of the war in Iraq. Been there. (laughs) Well, Well, and also uh, go ahead, Mike. Oh, no, please go ahead, Brie. Well, I was just going to say that in pop culture at the time, um, we were still in 2003 pretending that the war in Iraq was a good thing. Like um, my, you know, my mom is a white boomer lady, so she likes American Idol. And you watch American Idol at that time, and it was um, like it was all like every season had to have a veteran on it, and they, they did a cast recording of "God Bless the USA" and shit. And like we were still so pretending that the war in Iraq was a good thing, and so that like by the time we like I by the time I was in school, um, there was a little bit more criticism of the war in Iraq. Um, but in tw- in 2003 to 2006, that was extremely hard to come by. And so, yeah, Arrested Development was extremely, uh, like, they did jokes about the fact that, because everyone knew that the WMDs weren't there. Everyone knew that. But I don't recall anyone else doing jokes about it on Fox. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, no, yeah, everybody, no, everybody else. I mean, I, I think if you want to get a great sort of glimpse at what, the zeitgeist really was for my country right or wrong, which is where America was in, in, in 2003, is that there is a supercut of the Disney channels. Um, they're interviewing yes. like, Hannah Montana. You've seen this? Oh my God. This is- I lived it. I lived it. 
but, but <laughs> that was what was being fed to me as a child. It's so crazy seeing Miley Cyrus and like Shia LaBeouf being like, I love that I can show my individuality by wearing this America pin. <laughs> and and it's like I just believe freedom of expression is like loving the flag and America and you're like uh, this is the creepiest thing in the world so even yeah. even having a joke that like maybe the Bluth family was 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 constructing homes for Saddam Hussein was super subversive and and like that the CIA was involved that that is a level of cynicism that was not really allowed in in Bush Jr.'s America at that time uh, uh, in many on you know many pathways. No, that's that absolutely makes sense. And that's something that makes Arrested Development almost more interesting to revisit because of the different like experiences you had while watching it. Like like I said, it didn't seem that subversive to me, but with like more viewings, you can see like, oh yeah, I, I see what they're doing here, kind of thing. And there's jokes that you're like, oh, that's about the military. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> At risk male youth, that spells army. So I want to, I have a fun question and, um, well, Mike, are you a big fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I'm excited to hear both of you guys' opinions on this. What had better royalty-free music, Arrested Development or Sunny? Arrested Development. Yeah, I think I agree. There's, um, I really love the, um, the kind of wacky mute trumpet fighting music that they used a lot. That was one of my favorites, but that said, um, I feel like what Sonny did was it actually took very recognizable tunes. Like a lot of um, a lot of the tunes that they use were tunes that had been used often, or they were actually somewhat well known pieces. Like some of those were pieces in like my grade one piano workbook that I played, um, and I think it made them into "It's Always Sunny" tunes. Um, there was an Liz, you will absolutely know this. There was an episode in like season two or season three of Dance Moms when they did a dance and it was they were using they were they were using Sunny music, I think. Or maybe it was Sims music. Oh, my God. But yeah, (laughs) I need to go back and review that because that's a perfect intersection of my interests. I'm thinking now it might have been Sims music. Uh, It was one where they were dancing with a giant spoon. But um, oh, I do remember that dance. So (laughs) now I'm, I'm gaslighting myself. I'm now just picturing a bunch of Karens yelling at their kids because I'm, I'm assuming I'm just assuming based on the title, the premise of Dance Moms is oh. that there are awful dance moms. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I guarantee your wife is familiar with this. Yeah, uh, yeah. beautiful um, work. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I'm now just picturing a bunch of like eight year olds, you know, dancing to Dayman or anything like that. That's a, a fantastic <laughs> and, and a nice little silver. Outfit. I mean. Like Frank's Little Angels or whatever. Yeah. Like that's what they were dancing to. Yeah. Yes. It was beautiful routine. Very touching. Oh, God. I love Danny DeVito. Never. You know what? They took Jessica Walter from us. Do not take Danny DeVito from us. We need our short king. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Um, there, I, I really find these days saying like, oh, this didn't age well is like the most easy, like lazy thing you can say about something. Because nothing, nothing ages well. Like even I'm not so aging much well. Stuff. um but um so the rita arc um it i i used to say like in my 20s i would say like oh this hasn't aged well like um it's less than 20 years old like it wasn't necessarily tasteful back then either but i don't know if arrested development passed itself off as a tasteful show um so in terms of judgments about rita like there are things 
they're judgments I can't make because I'm not disabled and I'm not a disability advocate. Um, but the, what I'll say that makes me slightly less uncomfortable to watch it than say like it's something about Mary or even um, a movie I love, Drop Dead Gorgeous, is that the joke is never on Rita, which I can at least say is a plus or uh, softens the blow. Like it is all about the characters of her being so self-centered and also so shallow that they can't notice that she has an intellectual disability because she is beautiful. Um, and oh my and god, rich. I love the joke. Yes, yes, that's and true. rich. Yeah, once well, they find out she's rich, then but, they're like, oh, well, marry her. <laughs> but that's and that's also a level of the joke that's actually tasteful. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, and also like the fact that she has eccentric clothing style is passed off because she's rich and beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. and but the joke about Charlize Theron and Monster and like what she used to look like that is the that, that made me like actually joke. belly laugh like yes. the first time I saw it like that mm. that was that was good that was well done yeah and so it helps that also like Rita is a character who's very kind and creative and sweet and I do think what Michael says to her when he breaks it off is one of the more genuinely touching moments in the series where he's like oh I just saw what I wanted to see because you're so beautiful and sweet and you deserve to be with someone more more like you and basically telling you you're perfect the way you are which like that's a respectful send-off, but like whether or not the plot as a whole should exist, whether or not any of that makes up for it, I, I can't be the one to make that judgment. Um, cause also like I'm it's it's gives me such complicated feelings because there are few words that I hate more than the R word, but um without that we wouldn't have Mr. F. Like that is what <laughs> Mr. F comes from. So like Mike, it reminds yeah. me of something you said in our King of the Hill episode about how, like, all comedy is kind of inherently hurtful. So this is actually, this is, thank you. That was, I was going to um, say that that I, I believe on my first uh, uh, episode, I said that comedy ages like milk. Um, and <laughs> watching a lot of the clips for this episode, boy. Uh, you know, a lot of things that we, we associated as funny in 2004 or five really are not, we're not there anymore because we've grown as, we've grown as a society. Um, this show was transgressive. I think a really big issue is, is it punching down or is the joke of how oblivious the Bluths are? That's why Rita's character might be a really interesting sort of thing because yes, it really is a perfectly, she is perfect as she is. That's why she walks on water. I mean, also because it's an illusion. But um, you know, uh, uh, but but she that that is a metaphor. That's an intentional metaphor of walking on water. And I know it also ladders up to the joke that she thinks you can cross the ocean. But um, the show really did struggle with having a lot of problematic jokes. That I think even at the time you can find other ways to make her uh, uh, laughable without using a, a person suffering from a disability or, or or living with a disability like that um especially when it's cognitive there's there is a uh i find it it quite degoute um uh it, it just seems oh yeah sorry uh sorry liz i, I dropped my, <laughs> my little bit of french there um don't ask me i can say that in backward that's about it um, that's all you need yeah really i can get i can get by um but no it 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 when the show itself is so smart and or 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 maybe it's broad humor that's just cleverly constructed, they could have cleverly constructed another character who does not live with a disability like that and it's completely fine. 
I don't know. <laughs> I think part of it also is um, like it's another issue that a lot of shows kind of at this time, again, I'm thinking about is sunny, but what is the audience laughing at? Is the audience laughing at the fact that the Bloofs are so self-conscious and so self-conscious, so self-absorbed that they're not even realizing this person has like a developmental issue? Or are they laughing because someone said the R word? You know what I mean? Like it's walking that line and you can't control how your audience is going to take that joke. Are they going to get to that level that you get to? Or are they just going to be like, <laughs> like Michael wants to sleep with her. Like, and you can't control that. And that's kind of out of the creator's control, but it's also they're putting it out into the world. So they're responsible for how it's taken. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing that I would change, like if you could say like the Rita arc has to stay, but one thing has to change about it. Aside from... If it takes Mr. F for me, I still, um, you know, am fine with uh, losing the R word, but um, would be how much they infantilize Rita um, and how much like the joke is that they because they don't have that many other ways of showing that she's disabled. So they show that she's childish and that she goes to a preschool and like her uncle easily fools her with like um, like tricks that you would play on a kid. Um, Invisible locks. Yes. Can we just also talk about how great Dave Thomas is in that role? Like, mm-hmm. and that um, the bum paddle magazine joke. Is just, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, like that's, that is probably the one thing that I would change about like, because also like things like functioning labels and stuff and, and Arrested Development is not a, a documentary and it's not a PSA, but things like, oh, Rita ha- hasn't mentally progressed past a six-year-old. That's not how we measure disability. That's not how we measure intellect. Um, but because like, I can understand you've cast, you know, an able-bodied actor uh, with the fabulously beautiful Charlize Theron to play her. Um, and so she can't have a disability where she like, quote unquote, looks disabled, like something like Down syndrome, like you know when a person has Down syndrome. Um, so what is the easiest way to show visually for the TV, this visual medium that she is disabled? Well, she goes to she goes to a preschool and finger paints and stuff. And I, I feel like they could have toned that down a little bit. I understand why they're like, we have to make it really obvious for people to see. And like, because the joke is it's so obvious, but I'm like, oh man, like, why couldn't you just have a thing about she struggles with math equations or she struggles with problem solving? Um <laughs> I mean, yeah. don't we all? I love the setting of We Britain, though. Um, we Britain is funny. Like, that's yeah. a funny bit. I enjoy We Britain. And, and, like, the We BBC, like, later on in the series. <laughs> like, that's that's funny. Why did we have to have it associated with this particular plot line? And that's, <laughs> why I think, again, why you sort of want to hold the creators uh, uh, accountable on something like this. Within, I mean, within within reason, of course, is that they did create a really wonderful character that that could have been characterized in a lot different way, a lot of different ways, even keeping a lot of the components together. Um, and that's mm-hmm. that's the really hard thing. I and I mean, I also frankly think one of the things that really uh, and this sort of ties into where we would maybe want to hold the show a bit accountable is I felt that it didn't just punch down a little bit with Rita's character, but with Marta's character. Uh, with several women of color or people of color in general, uh, that was something. Yeah. That, that's something that, boy, in two thousand five, yeah, that was mm. funny. But no, it wasn't. It really wasn't yeah. funny then. But but society said that was funny, and that was that was network TV acceptable at eight thirty p.m. on a Sunday <laughs> or a Thursday or a Monday or a Tuesday. Uh, Arrested Development got moved around a lot. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and like the one thing about Marta that was it's interesting because on one hand you could say that Arrested Development had a lot of balls with its humor in the sense that it um like when they couldn't get the same actress back for Marta, they literally just got a different actress. And then they mm-hmm. decide to make a joke about it in the third season about here's Marta again, played by a different actress. And is it funny that they would say, because a lot of TV shows do that and just kind of pretend like, no, it was the same actor the entire time. Um, but on the other hand, I feel like that accidentally says something about the way we treat, like how disposably we treat women of color, especially Latina women in Hollywood, because how stereotypical is it? You have a Latina woman whose only job is to be this beautiful, benevolent girlfriend. Um, like, mm. and cause Marta is such a sweet character and she like, she gets treated like shit by this family. <laughs> um, and again, it's, are you laughing because the Bluths treat these people like shit and so the Bluths are bad people? Or are you laughing because Lucille just said, like, I'm going to check your bag when you leave kind of thing? It's mm-hmm. what what are you wanting the audience to laugh at and what is the audience well actually laughing at? And I also think I also think it's a bit of a, a question of repetition because they really go back to the well on on jokes against Latin American or South and Central American people that, I mean, you know, when they make the, whether it's the, oh, my Mexicans who are from Colombia, well, I think they're Colombians. Like that joke is is sort of fine because it's, it's showing, okay, Job's an idiot. Michael's at least somewhat more culturally sensitive and, and aware of, of at, at a baseline level. Uh, the dog disagrees. Um, but, but, uh, you know, the fact that it's repeated, you know, there's, there's the joke of, of Lucille asking everyone, uh, who thinking everyone's a waiter, like that's playing on stereotypes in addition to her. She's a terrible person. That joke, I think transgresses from being, you know, oh, Lucille's awful. And to why does, why, why do the writers keep going back to this? Well, you know, and, and it's, and, it's like, it's an easy joke. And you can tell that they're like, yes, this is a reliable laugh. And then that's when you get to like, okay, well, you're not like doing the smart kind of workaround for it here. You're just, again, going for kind of the easy jokes like, oh, these guys are all dressed like and look like waiters. Like, why do they look like waiters? Like, that's just a waiter. <laughs> I mean, and of, and of course, I mean, obviously part of the humor is they 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 don't, they are all wearing tuxes and, and look, they look like actors. They are all relatively handsome. They're men at an are, event for you know, actors. <laughs> and it's, and, and yes, I know it is, it does show her obliviousness, but it is, that is one of 50 jokes that they're going to be making at, 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 at uh, you know, people of color's expense like that. And, and the same group every time, uh, it really, you know, yeah. I find that I find that to actually be something that that uh, really sticks out in a, in a pretty brutal way. And then I also think of, um, and this one I think was a directly sort of offensive thing of of they basically just and this ties into the sort of the the Iraq War angle as well. They really just play into the oh yeah like I mean, the Arabic language sounds angry like Buster and- choking on a moth. Yes. Yeah, that. which was like jokes that my fellow fourth graders were making in 2003 kind of thing, you'd, which yeah. it's like you'd, you'd expect that out of uh, frankly, you'd expect that out of South Park in its in its earliest seasons, not what was considered to be one of the cleverest shows of its era and, and ahead of its time. It, it, it mm-hmm. might have been ahead of its time, but not certainly not there. I'll also add that I think there were the only 
the only black characters were in very supporting roles and i get it it's a it's or a, movie, a puppet or it's a tv show or yes <laughs> oh i was i was gonna talk about franklin you the act, Job. Um, like, because Franklin is at least, again, it's another good example. We are laughing because Job has no idea how to relate to Black people. However, the show also has no idea how to relate to Black people uh, because the only prominent Black characters are Carl Weathers playing a very funny and exaggerated version of himself and not at all a likable version of himself. And like, I was thinking- like constantly closest- looking for free food and- like, And scamming to, like- to buy us. Yeah. Um, The only character I can think of who is a black character who has some autonomy and is mildly intelligent is Ice the Bounty Hunter, um, (laughs) who is actually one of my favorite characters, but he's on like two episodes. And also like he is hypersexualized by Lindsay. And like, I get it. Like she, you know, she hypersexualizes people. But like when you combine that with the character that Terry Crews plays in the fourth season, like that's really all like, Black men are just always hypersexualized on the show. So, yeah, it's... Um, Which is a long-standing yeah. problem in Hollywood. Yeah. In general, Also, yeah. to circle back to, like, the especially treatment of, like, Latino characters, I was revisiting, like, the New York Times article, and one thing they did is, like, pat themselves on the back for their, like, kind of, like, satire of the Trumps and, like, the build-the-wall um, arc in the fourth season, and... It's like, okay, you're going to like congratulate yourself on this, even though if we revisit this entire show, we can point out like all of these jokes that you're making that would probably land with this specific person you're targeting. And so it's like that almost like cognitive disconnect of like, no, we're making fun of these people. And it's like by doing what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I was going to say this for my last note, but actually this is such a heavy topic that I'll make it my second last note. Um, since we're talking about that New York Times article, I, I feel like we got to talk about the Jeffrey Tambor of it all. And like, this has come from, I loved Jeffrey Tambor. Um, you know, I was always so excited when I saw him in stuff. And um, the New York Times piece, though, that covers it, like, I, I have nothing new to say about Jeffrey Tambor. I'm glad the guy hasn't worked really since it happened. I mean, Sucks that he was pretty much at retirement age anyway, and I hope he enjoys his millions and his fucking peaceful retirement. But, um, like, I won't pretend that I didn't find him to be a delightful and talented actor, but just the way the New York Times piece handled it, like, man, I I think I joked with Liz, everyone needed physiotherapy after that to pull their feet out of their mouth because that piece does not look good on anyone, but especially Jason Bateman, um, like, and it was pretty clear that at some point, like, some of the guys were trying to deflect out of awkwardness. Like, Will like Arnett, I said like, to you, yeah, I'm Will Arnett bringing up, like, oh, I, I keyed Jason Bateman's car one time. Ha 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 Can we move on, please? Like, yeah. Obvious deflection there. Yeah. Because, like, anyone else, you could say, like, I guess if you ask me, like, if someone that I worked with had just been accused of improprieties and whatever, and, like, I'm on stage with them and I'm trying to promote shit, I might try to say something that is a bit safe or whatever but the fact that jason bateman went like double down like i wouldn't do another season without you in it and then you have poor alia Shawcat, who is the only person to stand up for her gangy um and saying like no it's not appropriate just because it's common or just because like i forget what her wording was but like oh like there's there's no excuse for it basically and it does make me wonder if like 
because I know that Aaliyah Shawkat is much more progressive and she was like a very longtime friend and ally of Elliot Page. And like he confided in her when he was coming out and stuff and experiencing a lot of like trauma from the attention he received in Juno and stuff. And I do wonder if Aaliyah Shawkat, just like the reason she doesn't work as much as other young actresses her age is because frankly, she doesn't, maybe she has a very low tolerance for bullshit. Maybe she speaks up too much. So like, good for her. What was the... um. What did you say would be the name of the Gangi Revenge movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I think I said, like, Gangi 6, because I think they're on 5. Um, so Gangi 6, let's kill Pop Pop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then also the fact that Michael Sarah was not in that interview, and he gave the most, like, weird quote where I said, like, he sounded about as articulate as a hockey player, um, saying, <laughs> like, yeah, I'd have to think about who I work with and stuff. But like Michael Sarah in that whole situation was, uh, and glad you two can both appreciate this. He was Grandpa Simpson walking in and out of the burlesque house. Dot Jeff, like yeah. <laughs> just like getting away from this one. But yeah, like Jason Bateman is really good at playing a dick, and I'm starting to think, oh, maybe Jason Bateman is kind of a dick. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, he has I'm- that energy. Unfortunately, so much of so much of uh, it's really conjecture on our part on 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 what's going on in in terms of what the other cast members were doing. Frankly, it actually hurts. I mean, you know, I think it obviously it hurts the victims far more. Uh, that should go without saying, but I'm saying it anyway. This is this is something where you. Not that we ever know anyone, really, uh, in an existential sense, guys. Um, but but with Jeffrey Tambor, this was a person who seemed wholesome, and 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 seemed like you know a, a fantastically funny person for four decades. And it turns out that they are terrible. And it turns out that a lot of people are willing to work with someone who is terrible if it means that they will get creative plaudits and money. And, and, you know, that's, that's also something where, um, you know, I'm sure contracts were already signed. I'm sure that things were already in, in, in production and in motion, but boy, I mean, it, it just, it, it came out looking so poorly. And, and I think maybe in, in retrospect sort of tarnishes the fifth season of, of, of Arrested Development before it could even sort of fall on its own face. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that was part of the reason I never like made the effort to watch it like it it would have been like dragging myself to watch it anyways because of the fourth season but i was like i have absolutely no interest in watching this because the new york times article came out and i was like i don't i i can't watch it in a way that they want me to watch it right now because Mm -hmm. oh and and this is yeah you only have so many hours for you know on on earth you can support creators that don't have credible allegations against them like there's you like can that, you like, guys like that is <laughs> I, no but i mean I, I i i honestly think that that is something that more uh uh you know fans and consumers of media in general should keep in their mind is that you do not need to support people who you who have credible allegations of of like sexual misconduct or at barest minimum sexual harassment you don't need to you, don't, you absolutely don't need to there's so and, much TV, you guys. Yeah. And so if you much happen, if you happen to be a fan of a nameless original six hockey franchise, you don't have to be. <laughs> true. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to. Um, but so about uh, about Jason Bateman playing a dick, though. So I have a bit of a, a controversial view because, like, one of the underlying uh, pieces of humor in Arrest Development comes from the fact 
and I'm talking about the first three seasons, that Michael does not realize how much of a dick he can be and how he's almost as selfish as the rest of the Bluths. However, I actually think they made him too much of a dick in season four and five. Um, I think like that a lot of the, oh, Michael's actually not that good of a person and maybe Lindsay has the actual best morals of all the loose. A lot of that came at from like post-finale analysis. So by the time season four came out, it's like, it's, they took him, Pat, like, even when Michael was a dick in the original series, you felt bad for him because he was dealing with a very cruel family and stuff. And um, like, yeah, I think they took him past the realm of, way past the realm of sympathy in season four and less so in season five. But like, because I think of original things like with Nellie or with a stripper at Job's bachelor party or um, the whole plot of My Mother the Car or the way he lets Rita down, like the whole series is about Michael does ultimately want to do the right thing. He just sometimes lets his selfish streak get in the way. But most of the time, he wants to do the right thing more than anyone else in the family. So one of the problems I had with season four is that they, the writers kind of forgot that Michael is supposed to be a little likable. Mm-hmm. And they almost made him like so incredibly obtuse to it like i'm just thinking about the dorm and him being so convinced that they were gonna like vote out like um uh george michael's roommate kind of thing and (laughs) um, i was watching it and i'm like i can't see like season one to three michael doing this because he would eventually kind of get the hint and be like okay i need to kind of let my son do this which he did do a few times kind of thing but they just like made it so heavy-handed which i think is something that we think a lot of the like fourth and fifth season is just how heavy-handed things were and being like no you guys like michael sucks too look michael sucks michael sucks michael sucks like just okay i know i know (laughs) like i'm aware i've watched three seasons of this i'm not new here like Mm -hmm. and you're just making it so much worse like maybe these guys do deserve to lose everything god I actually, uh, I actually think a real reason why uh, it, it it falls so flat is again because of the seven year layoff. You could have a character development of over the over time. Michael has actually grown more like his family, um, and is more oblivious to things, and has actually sort of become crueler as time has gone by. Because he actually, the last act of the uh, 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 like the last action he takes in the third season is he abandons his family. Right. I mean, aside from George Michael, but like they're they're going to head off with a half million and 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 have some fun, um, head down to Cabo or whatever is the is the is the plan. But because there's been seven years, you actually could have done some groundwork there of like, no, he's become a worse person over time. He has degraded. He has eroded. Instead, it's no, we just need to kind of go with this. And I so I think that there is you could have played it with a slower hand, or if it if it builds more, um, it could actually it could have actually made more sense, but. Uh, no, I mean, the fourth season didn't make sense. From top to bottom, it didn't make sense. And they had a second chance at it with an edit, and it still didn't make sense. It almost made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm so excited to get to the lightning round. The lightning round, my favorite segment. Uh, again, apologies. <laughs> apologies because the lightning round of this past week's episode on Judd Apatow literally disappeared from uh, our recording files. So <laughs> now you'll never know what me and Kyle think about uh, Leslie Mann and uh, and the Judd Apatow crew. Um, you won't hear my various uh, many, many feelings on Martin Starr ever. Um, so uh, I think we'll go in um, 
We'll go in the order since uh, this is how it looks on my computer of Mike, Liz, Bree in our answers. So lightning round, don't overthink cool. anything and have fun. Which Bluth child do you identify best with, Mike? Michael. <laughs> Michael. Um, Buster. I'm the youngest child and I am very attached to my mom. So yeah, I will shamelessly say I, I identify with Buster. Um, okay, Mike, who is your favorite uh, guest star or celebrity cameo? Is it, I, I think mostly because of the, the verbal repetition of it, but Scott Baio as uh, Bob blah, 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 blah. It, like it, it, it just, it's too, it's too much fun. Mm-hmm. Minus Amy Poehler as oh, Job's, so Job's wife, mm-hmm. especially because right now on TikTok it's the like, I'm in love with your brother-in-law. You're in love with your own brother. <laughs> like I've just had that going through my head for like the last three weeks. So, <laughs> um, I actually love Carl Weathers. Um, I love the baby. You got a stew going. Um, you got a stew going. <laughs> as as uh, scummy as he is, he's so charming and he's so cute in it. Like I love um, him. Yeah, he's great. Um, what's your favorite GIF? Uh, sorry, or could you uh, say say it correctly? <laughs> Thank you. Okay, okay. Uh, I mean, a musician, a magician named Gob. <laughs> I I I think uh, I'm I'm over I'm overthinking it, but uh, I've made a huge mistake. Let's 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 be real. I've made a huge mistake. The, specifically, the hospital one. Oh no! Wait, maybe no. The mariachi band. No, the mari- mariachi band one. That's the best one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yes, I have two. Well, my favorite gif is the "Hello Darkness, My Old Friend," um, but my favorite just screen grab is the like "Dead Dove Don't Eat" bit. Every single time, it makes me laugh. Yeah. You know, um, I worked in an office pre-COVID for almost ten years, and every single time I brought a bag lunch, I wrote "Dead Dove, Dead Dove Don't Eat." <laughs> um, I can't believe neither of you said I don't care for Job. I, I, I think of that all the time, especially like we're all hockey fans. And right now all I can think is Sheldon Keefe saying, I love, if you're suggesting I love the big four differently, you are wrong. I love all the big four equally. I don't care for William. Willie. Yeah. (laughs) See, I associate that with the Kachucks. I always think of Keith Kachuk being like, how dare you? I love all my children equally. Care for my, or Matthew? <laughs> I I actually just relate that one to my my real life. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure my mother must say that about one of me or my sister. Uh, I also have an affiliate. Not to derail your lighting room, but there's a fun affiliation with within fandom. Uh, certain writing that is kind of off-putting to a lot of people is tag dead dove don't eat so that people know what they're getting into when they like go to read it. So it, I, I also have yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, this is a little bit different from uh, from GIF or GIF uh, because uh, don't have to have an associated visual. But what is a one liner that you actually find yourself always saying, or like something that you say in an Arrested Development style? I mean, okay. I have like five written. <laughs> yeah. So having a toddler. Uh, there, there are definitely times where some of the things that Michael would say to Buster when he's like, you know, he's building the bike or he's, he's practicing what instrument is he, is it not guitar? What the hell? Um, saxophone. Anyway, uh, when, like, harp. He's, harp. Isn't it the harp? <laughs> but it's like Buster, buddy, 
think you can take that as like, like take, take that off the balcony like that just that that because oh his rooms. drum in the first it's the drum the thank you it's the drum <laughs> yeah but but like no but like my, i i have a two-year-old who will hit one toy against another toy while i'm trying to talk <laughs> at dinner and it's like gabe buddy you know pal so that that definitely um that and i i think um uh jessica walter uh the like lucille's delivery of the um it just makes me want to set myself on fire like the the just, just the... <laughs> no. by the way i pronounce your son's name jabe so <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay i'll i'll narrow it down to my top three i literally have seven written um constantly just her I like whenever there's a new leaf, just her. Really, um, the also um, good for her, like that little bit, and um, just the I don't know what I expected <laughs> from yeah. Dead Dove Don't Eat because yeah, um, for me it is also good for her. Um, it's. It's it's a great uh, great gif as well, but it's um, it, the tone is she makes that tone hers, and so like you these days you say good for her, and everyone knows what it is. That's that's the one thing I love about how popular Arrested Development became through like memes and gifs is everyone knows good for her. Um, and also I can't, I kind of forgot until I looked up that episode that that was like a big thing people were panicking about in stories in the 90s of like cuz it was like in response to a mother who had like drowned her children and stuff and like I'm like weren't there like a million stories about that shit like that is a dark ass joke and just <laughs> I didn't like the way I was when I went off my medication it's like good for her. <laughs> oh. Um okay. So of the core cast, who do you think is the actual best, most gifted actor? I mean, I'm going to go with Will Arnett. Uh, That's my answer, too. He's because he he had roles, whether it was what in like Blades of Glory where it's it, that's a dumb broad comedy. Uh, I mean like a comedy that's dumb and broad, not, not anyway. Um but um <laughs> but I mean playing whether it's being in Batman, whether it's being in Ratatouille, uh, you know, he is he is hilarious and um what was so great was delivery, the theatricality, like the fact that he has um, he didn't know what a, a professional um, magician would behave like, so that's why he's he's got the knife in his teeth. Like that was an, an ad lib sort of thing. Um, uh, but then he would also play very serious, and he would look deeply in the camera. And and, and the deadpan of that voice is just perfect. Yeah, I think Will Arnett as well. Just also, like you said, being Lego Batman, um, the narrator for the Leafs Dock, the hormone monster on Big Mouth, and Bojack Horseman. Like, not to overuse an internet joke, but like he has the range. Like he he can do it all. Like he's 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 dancing with a knife in his teeth, and then he's making me cry over a um, horse man. Centaur. um so i will say that unfortunately i do think the best actor is jeffrey tambor like i think he is a gifted comedic actor however because we this is a jeffrey tambor negative podcast my second choice is david cross 
I think David Cross is one of the best comedians of the uh, of the 2000s. Um, and everything he says is funny. I also like like his voice that he does as Tobias. It makes a line that shouldn't be funny. Like, I thought that was a home fill. Like, just he had he really understood Tobias and made it his own. And so um, I love David Cross so much. Um, okay. Which Jessica Walter role do you like better, Mallory Archer or Fran from the Dinosaurs? Mallory Archer. <laughs> yeah, Archer. <laughs> so, well, probably Archer, but I, I just, I need to give some love for the Dinosaurs. That was actually such a good show. I don't know what streaming services the Dinosaurs is on, if anything. You probably have to pay for it on Amazon Prime or something. <laughs> I don't like paying for shit. Um, I think you need a time <laughs> I machine. I mean, there's a... There's a good way to find it that you can use on the internet legally. So legally, legally, I, I love legal things and following the law. Didn't I bring up torrenting episodes on my or like streaming episodes <laughs> illegally on my on my last episode? I I, I feel like I this is a, a recurring theme N- for this podcast. No, you no, you never brought such a thing up, Mike, because of it's a law abiding. Why podcast. would you do that? Oh. I watch everything on streaming services that I pay for. Yes, someone um, okay. Pays for. So, um, separate, I guess, from celebrity guest cameos or whatever, but who is your actual favorite minor or recurring character? Ooh, uh, I mean, you know what? Liza Minnelli as, as, as Lucille too. Is that too big? That's too big. Um, I mean, she's great. She's, she's amazing. She's fantastic. A lot of stuff, a lot of things that happen around her are so funny. Um, actually, you know what? Uh, it's, it's, because it's problematic, but Dave Thomas is also really great in, in season three, but that he also might amazing. be too big. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's uh, have Liz bring in some insight on your favorite minor um, character. So my favorite minor character is Doctor Fishman, just because the reactions to his like super literal diagnosis or super literal um, discussions of what's happening to the patient, just the reactions that the rest of the cast give. Just he's make right. it so much better. Yeah, he's all right. And Lucille trying to attack him is something that lives completely rent free in my brain. So like him just existing is funny to me. I love Anne. I love Anne so much. Um, every like. <laughs> I knew she someone was going to say an egg, and then she squeezes mayonnaise in her mouth. <laughs> oh. Folks, you cannot. Egg. Folks, you cannot see it, but we all just did the <laughs> egg pantomime. Oh, That's actually man. Jason Bateman's best acting in the entire thing is his disgusted look at that. <laughs> or like the look in Michael Sarah's eyes, just like the fact that they created a character who is so like disgusting and awful and Michael Sarah does not see it. Um, and I think Mae Whitman kills it in that role. Like, I, I do feel bad for her as well because there's so much joke, so many jokes about how ugly she is and how frumpy she is and how big she is. And like, they, they really go out of their way to make her look bigger than she is and uglier than she is. Um, her singing too makes me laugh oh so much. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, she is my favorite minor character. Least favorite minor character. Ah. <sighs> Well, it can't be Jean Parmesan, who uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, uh, but, but that, but that, that routine, that, that, that routine actually does, that one actually weighs on me by the end of it. It, 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 it they, they ran that one into the ground. Um, mm-hmm. least favorite minor character. 
I, I honestly, I can't, I can't think of one that I truly hate. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, the, most of them have at least a little bit of, uh, a, a little bit of value to them, even, even in just like one scene. <laughs> Let the record state that Mike is generous. <laughs> so I, I love Judy Greer and I wish she was in everything, but Kitty irks me so there's just I know she's supposed to be like irksome but I just can't do it even though she gives me like my favorite scene which is the drinking competition where you have the guy in the background being like she's mixing um (laughs) but I just that character when she kind of like disappeared I was thankful for it um oh man I I I will disagree on that because I too think Judy Greer should be in everything I do think we get the exact right amount of Kitty. I think anything more would have been too much. Um, no, my my least favorite character is Tony Wonder. And Ooh, I love okay. Ben Stiller, but I can't stand Tony Wonder. I don't like where they take him in season four either. But like, again- He was my second choice. I feel like I'm kind of like Liz because like I'm, I'm sure his character is supposed to annoy me, but I just didn't find there to be anything interesting about how he was annoying. Um, I mean, at least they got some good gross humor about him and like the, like how gross his tricks were and stuff. But yeah, it just, maybe it was the way they styled him. I was annoyed anytime he was on screen. Um, glad you validated that, Liz. Okay. <laughs> I'm always here to validate irksomeness. Um, what is the better fake song, the Hot Cops song or Big Yellow Joint? Hot Cops. Hot Cops. Thank you. We have a we have a trio of agreement. I love the hot cop song and the whole concept of the hot cops is great. Mm-hmm. Every time they show up, I love it. Like you could never overdo the hot cops. It's always funny to me. Okay, so this one I am going to give you guys a little bit to think because I want the answers to this to be so intentional. If you could have a Bluth family frozen banana, what would you have on it? Well, first of all. I would have the the priciest banana you could you could find, maybe even ten dollars. Um, but no, I would I would be I I would be having it uh, uh ideally only hand dipped to where it should. I don't need any of maybe's fingers on there, and then just a little bit of peanuts on it. That's it. That's it. And also maybe like a quarter of a million dollars lining the the walls. <laughs> My I have the exact same answer. <laughs> I just want a classic chocolate and a little bit of peanuts. I'm an indulgent bitch. So um, <laughs> first of all, I will say that walnuts or pecans are far superior to peanuts in this. I also would add a little bit of caramel drizzle. But then if I wanted to switch it up, don't think nuts. Crush Smarties. Or for the you Americans, uh, Smarties are not what you think. Smarties are like our M&Ms. Because uh, I, think, I think American Smarties, Smarties are, are like rockets. rockets. Yeah. So like M&Ms are like a chocolate candy. Because I, mm-hmm. I have like the palate of a four-year-old so (laughs) all right so now we have reached our conclusion on the peak of arrested development and uh you know like i always say peaks uh mean different things it could be solely what was the best quality what could people start or stop watching when was it the most like itself uh but liz why don't we start with you what do you think was the peak of arrested development so i'm gonna say the peak was season two because that's my favorite and that's I feel like when it was kind of 
most aware of what it was. So season one was still kind of like they knew what they were, but it was still kind of introducing things and everything like that. And then season three was trying to fit everything in because it was a finale, obviously. And then the other two don't exist. So season two, I think, is my peak of Arrested Development. Mm. Also, it has like the Mother Boy Triple X episode, which is one of my favorites. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, that's another good fake song is the Mother Boy song. Um, all right, Mike, what is your Arrested Development peak? I'm, I, I really wish I could disagree with Liz uh, on, on this one, uh, but season two. Season two, uh, um, I mean, especially the, the lead up for, for Buster and his hand. Um, especially, especially on rewatch, especially years later, especially when you've had, when the internet was actually allowed to sort of analyze the things and be like, no, there were actually 17 other jokes you missed. Things that were even harder. That, that is just, the, uh, that is where I think that the show was at the peak of its powers. So I'm also going to say season two, but I'm going to get more specific. I'm going to say two different episodes back to back at a particular time in season two were the absolute peak of Arrested Development. And that is episodes 11 and 12, uh, Hand to God and Out on a Limb. Or sorry, Out on a Limb is the first one and then Hand to God. Um, and those are the, it, first of all, it's the one where Buster loses his hand. And I do feel like that is a great place where you can draw a line in Arrested Development. There's pre-Buster losing his hand and post-Buster losing his hand. Um because man, they get so many great jokes out of that. But um, it featured to me, I consider it the peak because it's everything that Arrested Development should be. You've got a great um, guest star, recurring guest star with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who um, all you have to do is listen to uh, the Seinfeld episode to understand how I feel about her. I Marry me, marry me. Um, and it's also a really intricate, it's both an intricate plot and an idiot plot because it's a plot where a million people are lying to each other, but also you have so many people who are being so stupid and just miscarrying everything that, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of a perfect sequence of episodes of Arrested Development. So I love Out on a Limb, Hand to God, and that little mini arc in the second season, I think is when Arrested Development is at its peak. So now... If there were, if you were to meet someone who was new to Arrested Development, like, what do you tell them about how they should watch it? Like, and and would you? I think very importantly, would you tell them to stop after the third season, or do you feel like they need to watch the fourth and fifth? Liz, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, honestly, I was thinking about this last night. I I would tell them to start with the pilot because. I think that those first three seasons you can watch like consecutively. You don't have to give them like the top three episodes. Also because like the first they because they gradually decrease in episodes, it's not like it's this super long haul where it's something like Friends or Seinfeld or like something that ran for so long. There's so much to work through. Um and I'm not a completionist in any way when it comes to media. So if you don't want to watch the fourth or fifth season, don't feel like you have to. I think that watching the first three is fine. You're not a bad person or you're not missing out on anything, I don't think. I mean, Netflix won't get your money. Think of oh, Netflix. No. <laughs> please, please won't someone think of the poor Netflix. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, 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 this is always a problem on podcasts is when the guests agree with each other. Um, but no. Let's uh, fight. Uh <laughs> No, but no, but Liz is completely right here. You you start at the pilot uh, and and you go until the end of season three because that is a, a a complete story. There are plenty of shows that exist that you can enjoy that like you know I mean The Simpsons. I haven't really watched anything 
uh, uh, religiously past season nine or ten, and and even the things that are, are are past there are a few episodes, like a Bart Star or something like that. You can give up on a show if 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 you feel that there was an era that was the best of it. I think the one piece of advice that I would give with Arrested Development is maybe if you're like folding laundry or you're having like some sort of deep text chat with a friend, maybe that's not the perfect time to watch Arrested Development because it is a show uh, that you really want to have your eyes on the screen at all times, if, if at all possible, uh, mm -hmm. because you will miss, if you look down for a second, you might have missed three jokes. Yeah, like there are certain shows that I can watch. Like um, the last time I was really sick was when I got my second COVID vax and I was like, I want to watch a comfort show. I want to watch Arrested Development. No, you can't enjoy watching that show sick or hungover or anything. Like oh. <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a high maintenance show. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a needy dog. Um, <laughs> what are those like? I don't know. I don't know what that's like. Uh, all right. So, uh, guess yeah, so why don't we start with Mike? Uh, plug your stuff or tell us where uh, where people can find and follow you. Oh yeah, I mean you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I cannot escape that hell site. It is. A <laughs> It is a, it is a, Hello, uh, Darkness, those are, my old friend. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really a mind forged manacles in this case, because, uh, I, I, I do it to myself, but you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at by Mike Stevens. That is Stevens with a PH, uh, the correct way to spell Stevens. Um, there's like 40 of us. Don't follow the other Mike Stevens. We hate the other uh, Mike Stevens. No, he's, he's a nice, he's a nice guy. <laughs> I, I'm I, trying to. No, I, I actually I actually <laughs> ran into him at a screening of Endgame, uh, and he was like, "Hey, are you Mike Stevens?" And I'm like, yes. "Oh my god!" And he's like, "I'm Mike Stevens," and I'm like, "Okay." And, so this and, is what it feels like when doves cry. No, he's 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 a very he's 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 a nice young boy, um, and 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 it was it was just very funny that that one Mike Stevens from from hockey Twitter found another Mike Stevens from hockey Twitter. Um, but not just hockey Twitter, Leafs Twitter, Leafs Twitter specifically. True. True. Um, but yeah, you can follow me at, at by Mike Stevens. And uh, in the new year, I will have a podcast out about the Venture Brothers, which is a show that you should all watch, uh, not just because I will then be able to speak to you guys on, on uh, you know, a relatable level, but it, because it's one of the funniest shows ever made with the caveat that they also have some problems with uh, language use in some of the earlier seasons that I'm glad they remove in later seasons. Mm hmm. All right, Liz, plug your shit. All right. So you can find me tweeting at yeah, no, for sure. That's yeah with Y-A. Uh, you can hear me talking on Real Good Prose. That's good with a U. And you can find me writing at stubsack.com slash yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> well, you can uh, find me on Twitter mainly replying to Liz and Mike. Um, that's, that's what I do. Uh, as both, replies. We're yeah. both at the same time. <laughs> yeah i have and have always been and will continue to be your host brie roadie you can find me on twitter at breganism which is veganism with a b-r-e-e -E. now new episodes are due out every two weeks on thursday but next week is not a normal episode it is our season finale and i will be joined by some of my favorite co-hosts from this past season as we discuss the year that was in pop culture and the year that will come to be we're going to play some games and we're going to reveal the episodes coming up for season two um this has been on a personal level uh, an amazing season thanks in large parts to our co-hosts and you the listeners i read a statistic recently that most podcasts only make it to eight episodes 
which is insane. And here we are, episode 18, no signs of sh- no signs of slowing down. And uh, it's because of people like the two people I'm looking at on my computer screen. And uh, gosh darn it, that makes me feel good. So you can check out our back catalog for more TV episodes on King of the Hill, The Office, Parks and Rec, uh, an entire month on The Simpsons. And so you think you can dance much more. We've got uh, a music. We got musical episodes on Radiohead, Arkells, and uh, plus movie episodes on The Mighty Ducks, the work of Judd Apatow. So much more. Thank you for listening. And remember, after all these years, that's not going to take a call from you. Yeah, so uh, it's called uh, What's Going On in This Kid's Brain, and it's a Louis Tomlinson quote, because that's... (laughs) (laughs) It's a Louis Tomlinson... One second, I'm just going to close my door. Okay. Buster, can you... No. Take that outside, buddy. (laughs) You can't do that outside. (laughs) 